Mike Cameron has a story that is so disarmingly honest. A story that gets to the heart of why emotions play such an important role in creating a deeper pause for leaders to ask, what's truly important? This episode of Businesses Are People Too, a podcast, allowed us to explore mountaintops where we can soar as a team, as well as the very depths of what can happen when we don't acknowledge emotion in the workplace. My personal favorite piece, the reality that compassion and empathy are absolutely crucial in leadership, so long as there are clear boundaries and accountability around that. It's an episode that will leave you wanting to listen to Mike and learn from Mike again and again. So, without further ado, let's dive in to better understand what if businesses believed that business was personal. Hello there. I'm Lindsay Harrell, and this is Businesses Are People Too, a podcast where business becomes human. A brand consultant, values vixen, and neuroplasticity geek. One day it hit me. Businesses are exactly like people, with the exact same needs. And just as humans are all made of the exact same components, you know, a brain, heart, lungs, skin, nostril hairs. So too are businesses with operations, marketing, sales, purpose, people. With this I asked, what if businesses realized that they are people too? A question that deserved more exploration, I set out to have conversations on how to bring the person back into business. Oh, the possibilities and exciting realities I heard from business leaders, health experts, and other provocative, game-changing thinkers and doers. So, are you ready to discover what could happen when we treat the humans in business as, well, humans? Let's go. Welcome everyone to the Businesses Are People Too, a podcast podcast. I am your host, Lindsay Harl, and with us today is Mike Cameron. Now, who is Mike? Well, Mike Cameron is a two-time TEDx speaker, a Canadian author, entrepreneur, and executive coach. As a sales and leadership authority, Mike has studied the impact that emotion has on human behavior for over two decades. Now, after tragedy struck in 2015, Mike sold his award-winning multi-million dollar business, Axiom Mortgage, and turned his expertise to teach men to be better leaders with themselves and others. Today, Mike is an executive coach and uses his SOAR framework to help leaders reconnect with their passions and purpose in life. He excels at helping them pull the best out of themselves and their teams. Mike is also the founder of Connected Men, an organization designed to create a safe space for men to practice emotional fitness. His 2017 TEDx talk, 
titled The Way Men Think of Strong is Wrong, urges society to help redefine what it means to be a badass. In fact, his keynotes addressing the importance of emotional intelligence have been heard all across North America. In addition, he is also the co-founder of the Ignore No More Run for Respect, an event designed to raise awareness around gender-based violence and specifically engages men and boys in the conversation. So gosh darn important. Now, of course, there are also some super fun facts about Mike, such as he has facilitated youth programs with the Edmonton Police Service Diversion First program. He has a huge passion for working with our youth. And he's also an ultra marathon runner. What? Who loves nothing more than running 100 mile races for 30 plus hours through the mountains? Mike, goodness gracious me, welcome so much to the Businesses Are People Too, a podcast podcast. Holy cow, my friend. I am stoked to be here. Man, that guy sounds kind of boring, though. I don't know. No, you know what? That guy sounds like a gosh darn champion to me. And <laughs> I'm so excited to get to know that gosh darn champion a little I bit. I guess more we're going to find out, aren't we? Yes, yes. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for being here. And we shall just dive on in, shall we? Let's do it. Let's do it. All righty. So you and I have had, a, have had conversations prior. But I'm wondering, can you perhaps share a wee bit about who you are, what you do, and why you yourself are so committed to creating conversations that change lives? Yeah, you know what? I always, I, I've answered this question so many times, yet I always struggle with the who am I versus what do I do? Because I, I feel like that's always this journey of discovery, peeling back those layers. Mm -hmm. um, from a what I do standpoint, I'm a professional speaker. Uh, I'm an executive coach and um, just a plain old human being trying to figure out what he who he wants to be when he grows up kind of thing. So why though? Why are you so committed to supporting teams, changing lives, figuring out who you even want to be when you grow up? Mm, you know, it, it's been, it's been quite the ride, quite the journey. I uh, started my career. I, I, I didn't have much of a um, sort of traditional uh, um, go when I was in, in my teens and ended up dropping out of high school, eventually got a job, uh, and I joke because I, I, I literally um, started my career bagging shit. Uh, I begged steer manure for a garden supply wholesale company. And that was kind of the beginning of my journey. As I moved up through the ranks there, I eventually got into sales of those garden supplies and recognized at that time that, you know what, nobody bought steer manure because they wanted to own a bag of shit. <laughs> they ultimately bought that steer manure because they wanted the feeling they would ultimately get when they planted that beautiful rose bush or grew that vegetable garden. And, and that was kind of the beginning of my journey diving into, you know, we buy on emotion justified by logic. And, and as I sort of progressed throughout my career, 
over the next 20 years, I ended up sort of hitting the ceiling in the garden supply business and then played hockey with a guy that was in finance. He was having lots of fun, making lots of money. So I said, how do you do that? So he told me and I went and did all the things I needed to do and, and eventually got into finance. Um, and being, being the kind of guy that likes to understand the why behind the what, I really dove into the research behind this, you know, not only do we buy based on emotion, but what I started to learn, you know, I studied the likes of Dr. Antonio Damasio, uh, Dan Goleman, Renee Brown, um, you know, so many excellent academics in the field. And, and what I realized was, you know, as human beings, in fact, we make decisions based on emotion, um, not just buying decisions. And so I, I worked to leverage that in my sales career. And then ultimately, when I, f I founded my own business as a leader, that was, you know, again, became evident that my team, my staff, my employees ultimately performed better when I had buy-in at that emotional level. And so that's kind of been my passion for you know, the last 25 years really is just looking at that. And, you know, we can, we can, we can get to the, the more deeply personal reasons um, that ultimately that came around to, but, but that's essentially, you know, been, been my life's work is just understanding that and, and understanding that in self. And, you know, especially as, as a man, mm -hmm. what does that mean to, to be emotionally connected? I think that piece of emotional connection and you have shared previously, you know, emotionally connected uh, men live richer lives. <clears throat> Pardon me. And you've also said that emotionally connected leaders build better businesses. Mm. I, I'm, I freaking love this line. I, I'm plain and simple. Emotionally connected leaders build better businesses. And part of the reason why I love it so much is that we have for so long heard it's nothing personal, it's just business. Right. Whereas this statement goes in direct contrast of that is ultimately business is very emotional. It's very personal. So can you help me then understand what exactly then does this sentence of emotionally connected leaders build better businesses mean? And how can leaders use this in their world then? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just such a fallacy to think that we can remove emotion from the equation and just think logically. And, you know, this is a conversation and a debate I have all the time. Uh, and especially for men, we like to think that we're logical creatures. But, you know, the research backs it up. We, in fact, make decisions based on emotion. Um, and Dr. Antonio Damasio talks about emotion is the edifice upon which reason is built. Emotion is the foundation that supports our cognition. Mm -hmm. And if we don't understand the underlying emotion that drives those decisions we make, we have zero chance of living a fully awakened and purposeful existence. And so as leaders, it's incumbent upon us to recognize that. And, you know, I always talk about Business is about the quality of relationships. Business is about building relationships. And I, I don't think there's many people that would argue that. But then the next piece of that is, so 
then shouldn't we be in the business of building relationships? Mm. Mm -hmm. And and I think a lot of people forget that. Mm -hmm. Well, so one thing that is just going through my head right now is often, you know, business people bond and build rapport by getting down to business. Right. So where's the emotion then in that? So, I mean, again, it's not just at an intellectual level. It is at that emotional level because usually business people are passionate about what they do. They're excited about what they do. They do it for a reason. Yes. Yeah. Um, it, it's, not, it's not usually just because I think I can make a buck. Um, there's usually something behind that. And certainly from an employee engagement standpoint, um, I mean, there's all kinds of research that, that talk about when – employees feel the purpose behind what they're doing or have a purpose to what they're doing, mm -hmm. they, they're going to work for, for, I mean, they're willing to work for less money if they believe in the vision and the, and the purpose. So it really isn't about money as the primary driver, typically speaking. I mean, I suppose there's, there's some cases where that, that may be true, but you know, the reality is, we want more. There's so much more to life than just money. I mean, that's a, a necessary part of it. And, and certainly I don't begrudge anybody that wants to make a lot of money. Um, but even how, so how do we do that? We mm -hmm. give our team purpose. We give them vision. We give them a reason for being that's beyond just the paycheck. I think one thing that you're hitting on beautifully is, you know, it, it could be money is the driver, could be, but ultimately that ties to the value of the individual. And so when a leader can understand what that individual's value is, that is their driving motivator, it's easier to have conversations that uh, engage people so that they have more buy-in to the business vision. Is that fair to say or? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, I often talk about how, you know, probably a decade or so ago, I actually stopped setting goals. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because when we look at goals in the traditional sense, and again, don't get me wrong, it doesn't mean I don't want to accomplish things. Mm -hmm. But when we look at goals in the traditional sense, you know, and I often circle back to, you know, when I was 23 years old and my my first goal was to earn a six-figure income. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I busted my ass and I made made my did my thing and I and I made that. And then, you know, there was just the next one. What's the what's the next goal and the next one and the next one? But ultimately, you know, I it wasn't the six-figure income that I was looking for. I wanted to build security. I wanted to build peace of mind. I wanted to build stability for my future family. I had a vision of meeting a woman, falling in love, having a family, the house with the white picket fence. You know, that was what I ultimately wanted. And what became problematic as my career progressed is the more I focused on, you know, now I want to make X number of dollars or I want to have X number of dollars in the bank. Well, guess what? I mean, the rationale behind that was so then I can have more time with my family or we can go on fancier vacations or we can do more things. But the reality was, you know, I found myself working 60 hour weeks to make that money so that I could then have more time with my, wait a minute, 
this isn't adding up here. Mm-hmm. If you want more time with your family, just take more time with your family, Mike. Like you don't need to, you know, so, so we end up or potentially end up putting the wrong things on the scorecard. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, maybe, maybe working a, a nine to five shift at McDonald's and living in a modest house would have allowed me to be more present with my family. Again, not that that was necessarily what I was going to accept, but I really shifted again. It was probably 10, 15 years ago when I really shifted from setting goals to setting values, as you just talked about Mm -hmm. intentions, how I want to show up in the world Mm -hmm. and then ultimately milestones. So again, milestones, much more akin to traditional goals, but when they're anchored in your values and they're anchored in those intentions, then they're kind of secondary. And you know what, if I, if I, if I hit that income goal, great, it's just a milestone along the way. But if I don't, as long as I'm holding true to my values, as long as I'm holding true to how I want to show up in the world, then it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. And so again, as a leader, if we can tap into that for our team, then, you know, we don't necessarily just have to pay more money to get more talent. Mm. And in fact, most times the, the folks that are simply chain, chasing the dollars, and again, that doesn't mean you compensate people unfairly, but usually that's not the primary driver. What is so interesting about what you just said is that it, it, it's more about who you are becoming on the journey as opposed to the ultimate mountaintop that you mm-hmm. sit at, that you yes. sit at, that you sit on. Um, yeah. So it's so long as you are continuing to be true to yourself, to action your values, to be intentional in the actions that you do with your values. Chances are you'll hit that milestone. Yes. But you'll hit it in a way that is true to you. And so even if it takes longer to hit said milestone, you can still enjoy that because you know you're being who you are and you're becoming who you need to become on the journey to hit said mountaintop. Yeah, well, I love that you use the mountaintop mm-hmm. analogy because I, I use that often. Like when I talk about intentions, mm-hmm. so I like to climb, I like to hike, I like to ice climb. And, you know, the goal is to reach the summit. Mm-hmm. But if that was all I was focused on, I'd put my head down, I'd hunker up that mountain, I'd hit that summit, I'd turn around and I'd come back down. Whereas my intention when I go out into the mountains is to just blow off some steam, to let go of all the stress and worries, to really get immersed in nature and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Whether or not I actually reach the summit is not relevant. Like mm-hmm. if I can go out with the intention of enjoying nature if something prevents me from reaching the summit, is that a failed trip? I don't think so. And and so I think that's a great analogy when we're talking about goals. Yeah. Well, and, and what I love about that too is because there's so many things that may get in your way of reaching the summit. Yes. Well, absolutely. And that's the thing. You don't necessarily have control of those things. Mm-hmm. A storm comes in, it gets cold or you know there's a a rock slide or who knows what that comes in your way you just have no control over that so if you are hell-bent focused on reaching that summit Mm -hmm. you're going to be upset you're going to be disappointed your mood is going to tank whereas Mm -hmm. if you come at it with the intention of appreciating nature if i come across a landslide that blocks the trail 
I mean, I'm going to appreciate the power and the beauty of that landslide or, you know, again, just the experience of being out there in a storm. If that, you know, obviously <laughs> you got to be cautious from a safety standpoint, but, but certainly my intention is, is it changes how things come. One of my the favorite one of my favorite lines from from my book is life can take away what you have, but it can never take away who you are. So focus on becoming more rather than having more. Mm. So how can leaders bring that same mindset on when, when a leader's central job is to get their team to produce and hit the mountaintop? So how can a leader take that same mindset of let's enjoy the landslide or let's uh, into their business when, let's say, or tornado comes through and destroys everything that they had been so focused on doing? Right. Well, but that's a great example because, you know, you can be focused on the, the you got to produce, you got to perform. Mm -hmm. But the reality is you just cannot control external circumstances. So if as a leader what you need to do is just make sure you're bringing out the best in yourself and your team. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Maybe a global pandemic comes along and all of a sudden those goals that we had set have to shift or the path that we have to take, you know, now we have a landslide that we, you know, it doesn't mean we can't get to the summit. It just means it might take a little longer or we might have to find another route. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And we have to embrace that creativity. Whereas if if we are so focused and mired in the circumstances that are preventing us from getting there, we lose the ability to be creative and find other solutions. And, mm. and I think that's really important to note as well. I think that is huge, that creative piece um, and the ability for teams to be able to be agile when, I don't know, something as far-fetched as a global pandemic Yes, can come in and stir everything up. But that ability to be creative, okay, well, here's the reality that's in front of us. Now, what do we do when this is coming up? And I think that's so brilliant to, to highlight the fact that you have to be true and understand yourself. You have to understand how to pull that out of your people and that creativity will fuel you forward because um, it's so important. So then with these pieces and understanding that so much is out of our control. What then do you believe makes a strong leader today in today's world of business? And how has this changed really over your time in serving leaders? Yeah, it, it's been interesting because, because it's, it's changed for me for sure. Mm -hmm. And I look at my personal journey and, and sort of that focus on, on the result and the performing and measuring up and, you know, we could talk about imposter syndrome and, you know, how you chase these results just so that you stack up with the CEO next to you, which is just such bullshit because, you know, for a long time, I really denied the world some of the gifts that I had to offer because they weren't sort of that traditional mindset or that traditional way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And just making that shift into knowing self for sure and how we we best show up um, rather than trying to read it from a textbook. Mm -hmm. 
you know, I was I was working with uh, with a fellow out of out of Texas who who is, um, you know, I, I would call him a leadership expert. I really dislike the term expert, but um, but he's he's worked on putting together. He's a, he's a professor um, putting together executive MBA programs. And, and he talks about the need for front porches versus boardrooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just that, you know, the notion of circles rather than squares. We need to start gathering in circles rather than in squares around the boardroom table so that we can cultivate that divergent thinking, the out-of-the-box thinking. We can we can come at things from different ways rather than, again, sort of that textbook MBA, here's how you do it. Here's the step-by-step process because the problem with the step-by-step process, when you run into the, you know, when you're at step nine, and then somewhere between step nine and step 10, there's that landslide. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, shit, now what? I don't mm-hmm. know what to do because the textbook told me I go from nine to 10, but there's something in front of me here that's not going to allow me to do that. And now I'm kind of screwed. So I think, you know, if you look at most of the um, sort of uh, super successful leaders, it, it, their success has come from divergent thinking, from thinking out of the box. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how do we cultivate that? Mm. How do we cultivate that? Practice. Oh. <laughs> Practice. Creating the spaces. You know, I think that's probably the biggest piece for me that, that I've noticed mm-hmm. is, you know, kind of field of dreams. If you build it, they will come. Yeah. And when we create the spaces, those front porches – Uh, that my friend Bob talks about, when we create those spaces to allow for that divergent thinking, that's when it starts to show up. When Mm -hmm. we create safety uh, in our people, that's when it starts to show up. When, you know, again, I think it was a Steve Jobs quote. He he talked about, um, you don't hire smart people to tell them what to do. You hire smart people to let them do what they do, um, or some version of that. Paraphrased. Yes. Um, but, but I just, I think that's so important and, and so often gets, gets lost. So how do we, how do we cultivate that thinking? I think we start by creating the spaces Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and slowing down and just practicing that pause. You know, we often get so caught up in the busy, 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 rush, 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 rush. We don't even see what's going on around us. We we're just so myopic and focused on what's directly in front of us that we miss things along the way. And then, you know, from a personal standpoint, you can, it's easy. I mean, I went a decade and then I look back and it's like, holy shit, how did I get here? Is this really where I want to be? And, mm-hmm. you know, for me, the answer to that was no, uh, it, it wasn't. And, you know, we can back up and we can talk about some of my, my lived experience that sort of highlighted that for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, sadly, I, I had a bit of a wake-up call that, that really highlighted that I just was not in the right place for, for where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. So back in October of 2015, so at this point, I had been running uh, Axiom Mortgage for about, I guess it was 13 years now, um, organization I, f- I founded uh, and built. And through 
again, like I said, my, my, my focus on my goals ended up costing me my marriage. Um, I was fortunate enough to meet uh, an incredible woman uh, subsequent to my marriage. Um, October 2nd of 2015, uh, Carissa woke up at my place. She was a yoga instructor, um, an artist, a painter, a potter, a photographer, a videographer, uh, just incredibly talented and, and had a knack for seeing the beauty in everything. But on October 2nd, she woke up at my place and uh, 5 a.m. got packed up, ready to go teach yoga, came around to my side of the bed, say goodbye, gave me a kiss. I said, have fun at yoga. And I rolled over and went back to sleep. And when I woke up at seven o'clock, went downstairs to get some breakfast, I uh, shot her a text as was our custom. I said, hey, how was yoga? I got no response and kind of went on with my morning. Headed downtown to a meeting for nine o'clock. I phoned, uh, no answer. Shot her another text, no response. You know, I'm starting to get a little bit worried because it's a little bit out of character. We're usually pretty good with checking in. Um, you know, it was that wrestle between the stories that go through your head and it's like, oh, did I, did I do something wrong? Is she mad at me? Is there, like, what's going on? Um, to that worry piece and. You know, I ended up going back to the office. I had a meeting at 11 o'clock. We ended up finishing up. We went across the street to go have lunch. And as I walked into the restaurant, my phone rang and, and uh, I looked at it and it was a blocked number. And I answered it and the voice on the other end of the line said, is this Mike Cameron? And I said, yes. And he says, this is Constable so-and-so. And my heart just sank. And uh, I said, is she Okay. And he says, where are you? And I practically screamed into the phone. I said, is she okay? He said, look, we're at your house. Where are you? We're coming to you. And so I told him where I was, and I turned, and I walked out of the restaurant. And I stood at the side of the curb, which you know, seemed like forever, but it was probably just five or six minutes. My house wasn't very far away from where we were. And the Sunmark police car pulls up across the street, and I start walking across the street. Cop gets out and meets me sort of mid midway in the in the middle of the road. And after identifying who I was, he looked me in the eye and he he said three words that would ultimately change my life. He just looked me straight in the eye and he said, Carissa is dead. Shot and killed by an ex-boyfriend who subsequently took his own life make decisions based on emotion. This was a dude that made a decision with very permanent consequences based on a very temporary emotion. And, you know, when I looked at how can I best show up, how could I best serve the world in light of that, and I had many folks that wanted me to go after the justice system, which, you know, certainly let her down, and there's lots of room for improvement there. But I thought, you know, how do we build a better restraining order is is really akin to putting a Band-Aid on a ruptured jugular. And I thought, you know, the better question is, how do we prevent men from getting to that point in the first place? So that, when I looked back at, you know, my experience, my quote-unquote expertise, um, 
the reason I'm passionate about teaching men the art of emotional reconnection is because emotionally connected men don't fucking kill people. Emotionally connected men don't kill themselves. Emotionally connected men make better leaders. Emotionally connected leaders build better businesses. Mm -hmm. And for so many of us, we spend so much time in our workplace that when I look at, you know, again, where can I best show up to impact the world? For me, this is it. This is the arena. So in, um, in 2019, I sold the business. I just said to my business partner, like, look, dude, I'm, I'm done. I'm out. This is just, this isn't filling my soul anymore and it's time to go. So, um, so I exited the business and, uh, I, I'd been, I've been speaking professionally for, um, 20 years, even, even, uh, as I own the business. And so the intent was to, to hit the road on the, on the speaking tour and, you know, so sold December 23rd, 2019. Uh, we went, we took a bit of a trip to New Zealand. I came back and, uh, hit the road. March 6th was my last live speaking engagement. And then, uh, March 13th or 12th, the world shut down and, uh, no more live events. So it was kind of like, Oh shit, now what? So, so I had to pivot. So that gives your listeners a little more context for, you know, how I ended up here mm-hmm. um, and, and why I'm so passionate about this and, and why I believe this is so important and why we need more leaders mm-hmm. that feel this way. I was mm-hmm. going to say think this way, but really feel this way. First, thank you for sharing. I don't imagine that's ever easy. So thank you for, for taking the time to, to go deep that way. And I also think that, yes, they need to feel to be better leaders, but it's changing that belief of when I show my emotion, that does not discredit me as a powerful leader. Yes. In fact, that augments me and my uh, expertise. Well, that's the only word that's coming because we've decided we don't like it (laughs) as a leader. And that's what will inspire people to follow me, not how prim and proper and tight-lipped I am. Yes. Well, you know, and, and, and I think there's been this vision that as leaders, we have to know everything. Mm-hmm. And so I have to show up and know everything. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, you know, now with Google, I can very quickly find out that my leader doesn't know jack shit. Like 20 years ago, we could fake it, right? <laughs> Today, that's not so much the case. Mm-hmm. So the need to pretend like you know everything, that you have all the answers isn't there. And again, there's all kinds of research that talks about this, that when you can show up and be vulnerable and say, hey, look, I don't have the answers, but I've got a vision. Come with me and mm-hmm. we'll do this together. It's just so much more powerful. And, and I think part of the problem is as leaders, we can easily equate vulnerability with weakness. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And compassion and empathy are not weak traits. The problem comes into play when we've got compassion and empathy without boundaries, Mm. without accountability. Mm -hmm. So yes, it can be a weakness if 
if we're just oozing compassion and empathy, but we don't set boundaries, we don't have accountability in our people. Um, and that's the key. Yes. But you hit it so hard on the head right there. Hit it. You hit that nail very hard on the head. Just from my own personal experience in that I had a leader, <clears throat> pardon me, I had a leader when I worked at one of the big four uh, accounting firms and my, uh, who, plain and simple, she took the time to help me understand what I needed to do to go and save my life. However, uh, after, like, I had a lovely little anxiety breakdown in the middle of Bankers Hall, I had my friend walk me on the phone as I bawled my, my street out, my eyes out as I walked home. But what this friend said was, does your, does your boss know? I said, no. She said, you need to let her know. So I, as soon as I was home, I sent my boss an email. Within five minutes, she had picked up that phone and said, are you okay to drive? As I lived fairly close to her, I said, yes. She said, come over. And I sat and then we chatted for, for a couple hours. And then she said to me, Lindsay, you're not coming in tomorrow. You're not okay. You're not coming in, but you're not staying at home either. And so for you to not come in, here's what I need you to do is you need to go to the doctor and start, start your journey to get help. And then as soon as you're done that appointment, you're calling me. And so it wasn't this, this idea of it, like, she gave me the compassion and the empathy I needed to start believing that I was a human and a worthwhile member of her team who needed support. But then she also held me accountable for now. You're not going to just go home and wallow in right. it. You're going to go and start getting help. And then you're going to let me know how that is because I care. And it was this, moment of change now yes she is a female leader so maybe that was there just from a gender perspective if we're going there to there we don't need to because i've also had male leaders who were just as empathetic and compassionate i've also had some who weren't but that's not here nor there either um but what i love that you're saying is that yes we have to have compassion and empathy that's that's key but we also have to have individuals who are accountable for their own self. And in that, we have, you know, more emotionally resilient teams, more connected teams, more understanding people, people who are willing to show up for the, because I, there's nothing I wouldn't do for that leader now. Right. Well, I mean, within reason, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that empathy and compassionate and that purpose in holding me accountable for myself is life-changing. And it started a huge journey of well, healing. Yes. To be frank. So I think you you've hit it beautifully on why empathy and compassion is so important within, well, within humans, but particularly within that leadership role, so long as there's those boundaries. And I think that that's where a lot of fear comes from is, well, if I am compassionate and empathetic, then I'm just going to be walked over and we're not going to get anything done. Well, that's not the case. Yeah. Well, it, that's not the case as long as, as, as long as yes. Fair. And, and that's, I think tra traditionally or, or a lot of times you do see um, the, the sort of nice guy piece not come with those boundaries and they get walked over, mm -hmm. um, which again, they don't have to be hand in hand. So they're, mm -hmm. they're two separate things. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't mean compassion is weakness. It means not setting boundaries is weakness. Mm -hmm. 
Well, and, and um, not setting boundaries creates confusion. Yes, absolutely. When we have boundaries, we understand a little bit better of what we need to do, how we need to do it, like all of that beauty. And boundaries are beautiful. So then I'm wondering for leaders who are looking to really start to, to tap into their own empathy and compassion without it becoming a let's feel party. Sounds weird. Let's never say that again. That's a different business conversation. Um, so how then can we encourage conversations to create better connected leaders, to create better connected teams, and ultimately to create better connected humans, to your point of both in the workplace and out of the workplace? Yes. So so I use a framework I call SOAR, S-O-A-R, and that acronym just stands for slow down. S is slow down. And that's where it starts, just learning to practice that pause. And for self, I mean, as a leader, that's incredibly powerful. Just gives you that opportunity to take that breath, not be super reactive. And then the O is open up. And that's that's twofold, open up to self. So whatever's coming up, just let it come Mm -hmm. so you can observe it. The second piece of open up is to share as you did with your, your boss is look, I'm, I'm feeling a little off right now. And the A is accept. So just accepting where you're at in the moment and that, and especially for guys, I I find that can be really challenging because, you know, when I feel shitty, I look around and it's like, I got a roof over my head. I got food in the fridge. I got two great kids. Like, who the hell am I to feel shitty? And then I start feeling shitty for feeling shitty. And it just becomes this giant giant downward spiral. And then that R is the reconnect piece. And the reason I use the word reconnect versus connect is because we weren't born emotionally disconnected. Anybody that has kids know that as toddlers – Having a tantrum, I mean, they're very in tune with what they're feeling and they have no problem expressing what they're feeling. Mm -hmm. Yet somewhere along the line, and again, especially as men, we've had it conditioned out of us. Mm -hmm. So it's about reconnecting with that deeper part of self. And when we can do that, then we can start to really know ourselves and we can drop some of that armor. We can drop that facade, drop that mask. And just be really comfortable with who we are. So in the context of sort of personal development, that's where that started for me. But what I've found is that works equally well in the boardroom. So now almost all of the meetings I attend, if I'm leading them, I will start with at least a 60 second, you know, quote unquote meditation or or a pause. Uh, It doesn't have to be a, you know, announcing that we're going to have a meditation right now because some people might freak out. But Mm -hmm. just saying, hey, Lindsay, crew, you know what? Just let's take a breath together. Let's just take a minute. I know you guys are working hard. I know it's been a really busy week. Let's just take a moment and just pause and let go of all the bullshit outside this boardroom and just get present. 
So there's the, the S, the slow down. And then the open up. Let's do a quick round table. What's coming up for you right now? And then, like, it can be a two-word, often I'll do a two-word check-in. So give me two words that describe how you're feeling right now. No context, no story, no nothing. Just give me two words so you can buzz around the table real quick. And if somebody's deeply annoyed, they're going to express that. They don't need to explain it. But at least now you've got some context. They're like, okay, they're shooting down every single idea here. Maybe it's because they're annoyed. And, you know, maybe they're annoyed about something else. But that open up piece, again, allows it to to come up. The accept as a leader, let's, okay, let's just accept. Lindsay's annoyed today. I have no idea why, but that's all right. Everybody's entitled to time where they're annoyed. So just understanding that, accepting that, we can move forward. And in the context of a boardroom meeting, it just means we can reconnect with our purpose. Why are we meeting? Let's reconnect so that if Lindsay goes off the rails because she's annoyed and she starts ranting about something, you know, as a leader, I can just pull it back and say, hey, Lindsay, I totally see that. I understand that you're frustrated right now, but let's reconnect with our purpose here today. Today, we're here to talk about X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then again, that sense of connection, hopefully you don't feel like I've just shut you down. I've acknowledged where you're at. I've accepted where you're at. And I've reconnected us back with our with our purpose in meeting. Mm-hmm. So from a personal de- development standpoint, you know, I started that when I, I created uh, men's groups. Um, that was the framework we started using. But it, e- it works equally well in the boardroom and, and maybe even more so. It just that sense of connection, that sense of safety that it creates, which allows for some of that creativity that we talked about before. Mm-hmm. You know, you may have 10 ideas that you think are ridiculous, but how likely are you going to be to share those if I create that kind of space for you mm-hmm. where I can just, you know, gently say, you know what, that's not at all where we're going today. Um, let's reconnect back where we are. Or maybe, maybe it is, or maybe it takes us in another direction. So again, it's all about just creating that environment, creating that space. Mm-hmm. And holding people accountable. So again, it doesn't mean we just have this giant pity party if everybody's feeling like crap. Um, it, you know, again, as a leader, you certainly don't want it to turn into just a bitch fest where everybody complains. And th- and that's why I like the two word piece. Yeah. Because you know, you, there's definitely some folks that would take that opportunity and they would just vomit all over the place with with their stuff. But if you get it to two words, it's like frustrated, angry, and then move on. It's like, okay, I know where Mike is today. I'm now aware of that, and we can move forward. And guess what? Mike probably feels a lot more comfortable now that he's been able to say, like, he's he's not holding back this anger and frustration that as soon as you come up with something he doesn't quite like, it's just going to explode. But at mm-hmm. least now we know. And there's so much power to acknowledging it's so powerful to just acknowledge and give someone that little space of this is what I'm, this is where I'm at. Yeah. Okay. I hear you. I see you. I acknowledge you. And because with emotions is that if we don't acknowledge an emotion, we push it down only for it to explode later on. 
Yes, 100%. And so that's all, all that that beautiful little moment does is it allows that person to just kind of release it by acknowledging it for themselves too. Yeah. Of taking that moment of, well, where am I at? Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Well, and, and, and that's, and that's why, you know, the emotionally connected men live richer lives piece. Mm-hmm. For me, when I made that shift, it was the change from seeing the world in black and white to 4k color. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like just when you can connect deeply, cause you can't selectively numb emotions. You yeah. can't numb the shitty ones and then expect the good ones or the pleasant ones to be able to come up. You numb them across the board. And again, in a business context, you know, what you said about acknowledgement is so powerful. One of the, um, the real estate council of Alberta, which was one of the regulatory bodies uh, in the business that I was in previously, they created uh, forgetting what it was called, like a broker resolution council essentially what they did was if there was a consumer complaint to the regulator about the behavior of a broker, they had the first mechanism was to have that agent, the customer and the broker owner of the company to sit down and just listen to the consumer's complaint. Mm -hmm. So rather than having the regulator intervene and, and, you know, decide whether there was punishment needed or, or um, disciplinary action needed. The first step was creating some kind of space for the consumer to air their complaint directly to the company. And what they found was 98% of that time that did the trick. The consumer was happy. There was no disciplinary action required because usually it was, you know, somebody made a small mistake and the consumer was annoyed and right. So to your point, that acknowledgement piece, I mean, it saved hundreds, maybe even thousands of hours in, in uh, investigation time where they just created a space for the consumer and, and the person being complained about to come together in a safe environment and just, be heard. Mm-hmm. And just be heard. Mm. The wonders that would happen if we just allowed people to be heard. Heard, seen, and understood. Mm-hmm. That is all we all want, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Mike, this uh, we are quickly coming to our time together. We are quickly coming to the end of our time together but the beginning of our time in conversations. So before we go to our last question here, which is always super fun to ask, I am wondering, how can people find you? How can people connect with you? If people wanted to say, I would love to speak with this Mike Cameron fella, <laughs> where do we get a hold of you? MikeCameron.ca. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find online. I'm, I'm, pretty, I'm pretty out there. Awesome. Yes. And, and, uh, yeah. and just Mike, Mike at MikeCameron.ca. If you want to shoot me an email, I'm always happy to connect. Connection is a, is one of my, my values. And uh, I always look to, to extend that open, mm-hmm. open, open eyes, open heart and zero expectations. Mm, I love that so much. And I will absolutely put those in the show notes. And thank you for sharing that connection is one of your values as I can absolutely see 
how that is guiding your connected men's uh, conversations, which is fantastic. So thank you. Yay. Now, Mike, we have a very serious last question. Are you ready? I am ready. In your mind of opportunity and possibility, what do you believe would happen if businesses realized that they are people too? Oh, again, this is just that whole, the world opens up. We, you know, again, I do a lot of work in the mental health uh, realm and, you know, I could, I could rattle off all kinds of, all kinds of stats um, on the cost of mental health, $51 billion economic impact, um, half a million Canadians every week miss work due to mental health concerns. Mm-hmm. Um, so just even from a, yeah, there's so much that it would change from a societal standpoint to from an environmental standpoint to a productivity standpoint, like they're all interconnected and we don't have to give up one to get the other. We don't have to give up productivity to get empathy, compassion, caring, and well-being. We can have it all. We really can. Mm-hmm. So that's where I get excited is just the understanding, the learning that if we started treating businesses like they were people too, that we could have it all. We really could. Mm-hmm. And that's exciting. That is exciting. I love that so much. And I just think even that just opens up even more possibilities. Of yes. We can have it all. And we get to decide what all is. Exactly. Well, and that's where I'd say, meet me on my front porch and let's have that conversation and figure out what that might look like. Yes. In a circle and not at a square table. Absolutely. Yeah. I think. Or or in the mountains. You see my mountain picture up behind me. Yeah. I'll meet you in the mountains. Just on the mountains, possibly dangling from a rope on a ice, ice mountainside. Yeah. Ice is super conducive to conversation because it's so cold, but we can go in the summer. Oh, okay. That's fair. Yeah. All right. In the summertime. (laughs) Mike, goodness gracious. This was lovely. Thank you so much for your shares, your openness, your vulnerability, and just the light that you're bringing to this world and the conversations that you are helping men to really dig into and start to be comfortable to be comfortable with because there's so much value there. So thank you so much. I appreciate you. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, well, thank you. And to all of our wonderful listeners, as always, big hugs, big love, and have a most awesome day. Thank you for listening to this episode of Businesses Are People Too, a podcast podcast. Together, we're bringing the humans back into our businesses. You can find all the show notes and links from this episode at anchor.fm slash businessesarepeople2. And you can also connect with me, Lindsay, brand and values consultant for leaders who want their teams to thrive with a bit of joy and fun along the way. Simply email Lindsay at therightharl.com or find me online at quirkylindsayharl.com. To never miss an episode of Businesses Are People Too, Simply subscribe on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, or Spotify. Now, if you really enjoyed this episode, 
You would just make my heart do such a wee giggle if you left a five-star rating. Thank you, dear friend, and we'll connect again soon.